in 2003, uh, Hurricane Isabel, maybe you all remember Isabel, uh, it tore a path of destruction through Virginia. Um, in fact, Isabel is actually on record as being the costliest storm in Virginia's history. Um, after Isabel hit, trees were uprooted and power lines were down all over the place and over 90% of the power in uh, Newport News, which is the city where Sarah and I were living at the time, um, was out. So over 90% of the city has no electricity. It seemed like everyone we talked to, everyone we knew at church and at work, they were, they were all without power, except for us. In all of the city, and this is a big city, there was a couple blocks still left with power, and that small section was where our apartment was. And so we bragged. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so... Sarah and I, we were sponsors for the youth group at the time, and so we actually had lots of teenagers come over and spend the night in our small apartment, and we had a power party. Um, teens brought their sleeping bags, they slept in our living room, and everyone brought their cell phones and their chargers and stuff to recharge. When you looked around our tiny apartment, every outlet had phones plugged in, all charging. Um, some teens even used our washer and our dryer to wash their clothes. They were using our fridge to try to keep food good. And uh, we were glad to help however we could. We even had a wedding cake in our fridge uh, that someone put in there because there was supposed to be a wedding the next day. And that's a whole other story of chaos. But um, so that that wedding cake wouldn't melt. And while the teens were staying with us, and they were talking, and the subject that kept coming up was how we don't appreciate how much we depend on power until it's gone. Now, as a church, we are dependent on power, too. But we are dependent on a power that is even greater than electricity. We are dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Like those teens that didn't realize quite how dependent on power they were, uh, oftentimes as a church, we don't realize how dependent we are on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we contend to take the power of the Holy Spirit for granted. We talked last week, we said that the Holy Spirit is like the wind in that he is powerful, but he is not seen. We don't see him working, but we see the effects of his work. And so it can be easy to not notice him, to not fully appreciate everything that the Holy Spirit is doing. But we have to always realize that we are dependent on his power. Because the fact of the matter is that we cannot properly interpret the word of God. We cannot live a godly life. We cannot serve God as he intended us to do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. 
we are dependent on his power to live out our Christian faith. So last week we said that if the church is like a sailboat, then the Holy Spirit is the wind powering the sailboat. He is guiding us, his church, in the right direction. And so if we make up our mind to just do our own thing, not consult God, and we just try to conform the church and our lives to our will and not his, well, then that's kind of like using an oar to try to paddle and fight against the wind in a sailboat. We are going to use a lot of energy, and we aren't going to get very far going against the Holy Spirit and trying to do things our own way. Because a sailboat is not designed to be powered by an oar fighting the wind. It's designed to use the power of the wind to propel it. And the church is not designed to ignore or to fight against the Holy Spirit. That's the last thing we want to do, right? We want to be, we are designed to be in step with God's will. Because we understand our dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit. There is no greater power source for the church than the Holy Spirit. Now, last year, we lost electric power here at Community one Sunday morning. And we ended up actually canceling Sunday morning service. It was a decision that wasn't taken lightly. Uh, we tried to see if the power would come back on in time. It didn't. There was no heat. There was no lights. So we canceled meeting together that morning. So we are dependent on electricity. But let me tell you why we are more dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit than we are on electricity. The church is not this building. I know sometimes we speak of this building as the church, but we need to understand that biblically the church is the body of believers. The church is followers of Jesus Christ. It's you and it's I. And every year there are churches that close their doors not because they no longer have a building, but because they no longer have people. The people are the church, not the building. Okay, so a building is not a church. It's a meeting place for the church. When I grew up, I went to Olivet Christian Church, and they were celebrating a church anniversary. And so they had some stuff about their history, and I was reading through about their history, and I found out that the building that we were in wasn't the same building that they started in. Apparently, the old church building had been destroyed in a fire years before. But Olivet Christian Church remained because the church was the people, not the building. Okay, They built a new building, and it was the home of Olivet Christian Church, just like the last building. A few years ago, they actually moved locations. They changed addresses, and they moved into a different building, but they are still Olivet Christian Church because the church is not a building. It's the people of God. So this location, this building, is where the people who are Community Christian Church meet. All right, the people are Community Christian Church. If we are to outgrow this building and, and build a new building, we would still be Community Christian Church, just in a different building. So you and I, we help make up Community Christian Church. We, the people of God, are the church. We are in the church building. 
Once we understand that we are the church, not the building, we understand that if the building lost power, the church will be okay. You know, we'll meet again next time, but if we, the church, God's people, if we stop following the will of the Holy Spirit, then we are not okay. If a church stops following the will of the Holy Spirit, then they have disconnected themselves from the power source of the church spiritually. They've been disconnected from the source that enables us to rightly interpret God's word, to live a godly life, to serve God adequately. And that is how churches fall into heresy and die. Not because of a building, but because people are disconnected and fell away from their divine power source, God the Holy Spirit. So while it can be hard for us to notice the working of the Holy Spirit, we have to always appreciate the need of the Holy Spirit in our lives and strive to be a church that is in step with his will, being fueled by his power. He is the wind behind our sails. And community, I think that we are striving to do that, uh, to be in step with his will. And I I think that God is uh, blessing us. Uh, We have seen three membership transfers, three baptisms just since the beginning of January, and uh, more decisions are being made to follow God. The Holy Spirit is moving here in community, and we give all the praise to God for that. Myself and Christine and the leaders, we do our best, but we know that we can accomplish nothing without him. The Holy Spirit is our power source. When we grow, we know it's thanks to God's blessing and to following his will. So we give God the glory. We humbly ask him to help us to stay faithful, to stay focused on his will as he grows us, as he directs us. Um, As we strive to grow as a church, there are lots of things to do. But the most important thing for us to do is to be faithful to God, recognizing the Holy Spirit is our source of power and doing our best to follow his will. Now, I keep saying the Holy Spirit is our source of power, but what exactly do I mean by that? How does the Holy Spirit empower us, his church, to live out our faith to the glory of God? We're going to look at what I call the ABCs of empowering by the Holy Spirit. And the A stands for abilities, okay? Um, Abilities or spiritual gifts, it's usually the the first thing that uh, people think of when they think of empowering by the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see different lists of spiritual gifts in different parts of the Bible. Prophecy, serving, teaching, preaching, giving, leadership, mercy, healing, tongues, hospitality, discernment. Those are just some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit listed in the Bible. Now, we're not going to go through and break all those down. That would be a whole class amongst itself. But of those, there are three gifts, um, the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and healing that are typically known as miraculous gifts. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, people sometimes ask, are the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit for today? Now, that's not a question as to whether or not God still acts in miraculous ways. Uh, All Christians believe that God still heals people, performs miraculous signs and wonders today. The question is if prophecy, tongues, healing are still dispensed 
as gifts of the Holy Spirit to the church today, or if those miraculous gifts were more a one-time deal to the early church. Now, in answering that, I'm going to start by saying that one of the mottos of the restoration movement is in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, love. Okay, so what that means is that if a doctrine is essential for salvation and for the Christian faith, such as believing that Jesus Christ is God, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, you know, these are essentials, then we need to be unified on those. We need to all agree on those as Christians. And then there are what we call non-essentials. These are beliefs that they're not essential for salvation. And when non-essentials are understood differently by different Christians, we can have the liberty to disagree and know that we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. So I was talking to Chris Keen this week about the book of Revelation. He's studying that in school. We were talking about different viewpoints among Christians when it comes to the book of Revelation. And, you know, there's like premillennialism and amillennialism, and it gets real technical. And I was saying, you know, the main point of Revelation is to understand that Jesus wins. And so if we are on his team, we can have hope even in dark times in this world. And as for the millennial views, if you are a premillennial or if you are an amillennial, that is a non-essential. As Christians, we can agree to disagree. That is not worth dividing over. So in essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty. And in all things, love, meaning no matter what we are talking about, no matter what doctrine we are addressing, we always strive to discuss it in a loving spirit with each other. Now, I've listened to some pretty famous preachers talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and honestly, they won't even give their view and their understanding of miraculous gifts today because they don't want to be divisive. And I get where they're coming from. I don't want to be divisive either, but I want to tell you what I believe and why let you know that this is a non-essential. We can agree to disagree. This isn't worth dividing over. That being said, I believe that the, the miracle gifts of tongues and healing have ceased. And here's why. In the Bible, the purpose of miracles in the early church was so that they would be signs that this new thing that was happening was from God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.22 says, Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Tongues was a sign to unbelieving Israelites that God's salvation is now available to other nations. Um, tongues wasn't historically uh, seen as part of the church after the apostles um, in the early church. Early church writers, uh, just to name a few, Justin Martyr, Origen, Chrysostom, Augustine, they all considered tongues something that just happened in the earliest days of the church. Um, also, if these gifts were still available today, there would be no need for missionaries to attend language school. Missionaries would just be able to go to a country and speak the language fluently, just as the apostles were able to speak in Acts 2. Um, as for the miracle gift of healing, we see in Scripture 
healing is associated with the ministry of Jesus, then with the ministry of the apostles. And then when we see the era of the apostles draw to a close, healing like tongues begins to cease as being a gift from the Holy Spirit. It becomes less frequent. The apostle Paul, remember, he raises Eutychus from the dead. Um, you'll also note, though, he doesn't heal Epaphroditus in Philippians 2 or Trophimus in 2 Timothy 4.20 or Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23 or even himself in 2 Corinthians 12.7-9. Why? Why would he not do that? Well, because the gift of healing wasn't ever to make every Christian well. It was to authenticate apostleship. And number two, the authority of the apostles had been authenticated. It had been sufficiently proved, thus making further miracles unnecessary. So that's my belief on the miraculous gifts, that they were for a particular time and place in the early church to authenticate what the apostles were saying was from God. That being said, let me also say that dividing over gifts is silly. It's foolish. Uh, the gifts were given to bring unity to the church. We are many different parts, all with different gifts. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, we are all united as part of one body, the church. A couple more things I want you to know about spiritual gifts and abilities. One is if you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. All right? It's not like some Christians get spiritual gifts and some don't. No, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Verse 11 says, All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he determines. So the Holy Spirit gives every Christian with a spiritual gift as he determines what gift is best for us. Now, when we are gifted by the Holy Spirit, we're not gifted for our own glory, okay? We are gifted to serve. When we're graced with spiritual gifts, they are to be used to serve others for the glory of God. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just gift you he doesn't just give you an ability. He also gives you an opportunity, all right? And sometimes in life, maybe it's birthday or Christmas, you get a gift from somebody. And, and you know, folks mean well, but you'll look at that gift and inside you'll think, how am I ever going to use this? Like, what in the world? But that is not what gifts from the Holy Spirit are like. When he gives us, he gives us with gifts that 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says are for the common good. In other words, he sees how this gift that he is giving us is going to benefit those around us in our church and in our community. Now, in Acts 8, we see how Philip, he has the gift of evangelism. He's doing great things in Samaria. Acts 8, 5, and 6 says he proclaimed the Messiah there. Crowds are listening to him paying close attention to what he's saying. And then Philip uh, gets told to leave there, go to a desert road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he has to be wondering why he's being asked to leave this successful ministry going on and go on a desert road. But he obeys. He goes through the road. He sees a chariot. And the verse 29 says, Then the Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot. Stay near it. 
Now, when it says the spirit told Philip, I wasn't there. I don't know if he heard an audible voice or if he just had this thought appear in his head. But I do know that this prompting from the Holy Spirit oftentimes uh, in my life has never been an audible voice. Most of the time, what happens is you have a thought that comes in your head that you're like, that was not my thought. That, nope, because I wouldn't think that. <laughs> like, hey, why don't you go up to that stranger's chariot, strike up a conversation? You know, and you're like, mm, that wouldn't be me. Nope. Most of the time, the Spirit doesn't speak to us in an audible voice, but he does prompt us. And, you know, he'll give us these impulses to go strike up conversations with people about God, talk to people about him, help them, go out of our way, maybe invite them to church, ask people, hey, can I pray with you about anything? These are promptings from the Holy Spirit, okay? He's inside of us. He doesn't have to speak audibly, okay, because he's inside of us. He just prompts us. He guides our hearts and our minds to his will. Okay, so Philip goes up to this chariot. He sees this guy reading scripture. He's reading a prophecy written uh, from Isaiah. It was about Jesus, the Messiah that was to come but, uh, and has now come as he's reading this. But he doesn't understand what he's reading. So Philip explains the scripture to this guy. He shares the gospel with him. The guy ends up getting baptized all because Philip listened to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to leave what he was doing, go to this desert road, and then walk up and strike up a conversation with a foreigner in a chariot. Okay? So the Holy Spirit doesn't just give you an ability. He will present you with opportunities. If you have a gift, he is giving you a way to use that gift. The Holy Spirit moves us at exactly the right place and the right time to meet the right person. And so when someone is needing prayer and you are there, they're wondering something about God and you are there, that is not just a coincidence. It is not something to ignore. That is what uh, Dean Troon likes to call divine appointments. God has made an appointment with you and with this person. You just didn't know about it till now. Okay, and so when we listen to the Holy Spirit, he has led us to the right place at the right time to see the right person. Then we need to do his will. Okay, well, when it comes to spiritual gifts, some people have also asked, you know, I had this natural ability before. Can that be a a spiritual gift? Um, Let me say this. Every natural ability, when you think about it, is still a gift from God. Right. The same God that gave you that natural ability is the God that gives spiritual gifts, right? So either way, the gift is from God. Sometimes the Holy Spirit is actually going to give you a gift that you did not have an inclination and aptitude for before. He develops in you a new heart. And so maybe where you weren't giving, you become giving. You weren't hospitable, you become hospitable. You know, uh, you hadn't taught, you become a teacher, but other times it seems like the Holy Spirit knows that you were already gifted with gifts because he's the one to put them in you and that you have the potential of using those gifts as spiritual gifts based on how you use them. So you can use your natural God-given ability as a spiritual gift to do his will. All right. Dr. Mark Moore, um, he used to teach New Testament classes at Ozark Christian College. 
Um, he spoke on this, and he put it this way. He said, God gives us all gifts. Spiritual gifts become spiritual not when God gives them to us, but when we offer them to others. So when we use natural gifts to serve others for God's glory, those are spiritual gifts. It doesn't have to be a gift that you had no natural aptitude before you, uh, your conversion. It can be that God blessed you with a natural ability, and after you became a Christian, you developed that natural ability into a spiritual gift by using it to serve others for God's glory. So the Holy Spirit empowers us with abilities. Now, letter B in our ABCs, he also empowers us with boldness. To say the Holy Spirit makes us bold, I'm not saying that he makes us all extroverts. You know, we can look around and just go like, no, we're not all extroverts in here. Um, but a typically soft-spoken, introverted, and calm person can be bold through the Holy Spirit at a needed time when a typically driven, outspoken, brash person is not. When the Holy Spirit gives us boldness, he gives us the ability to act not based on our personality, but based on him giving us conviction and courage. From the time the Holy Spirit first came to the church, one of the things that he has done is fill believers with boldness to proclaim God's truth. Acts 4.31 says that the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So we have boldness in proclaiming the word of God thanks to the Holy Spirit. He empowers us to speak up about our faith, to not let um, our fear silence us, but to step out, follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit, and do something potentially uncomfortable, like sharing our faith with someone at work, at school, even a stranger, inviting them to church, praying for them. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness that we need to fulfill the Great Commission. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness not only in sharing our faith, but also in our very relationship with God. Last week we saw Ephesians 1.13 tells us that when we are saved, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit so we can be sure of our part in the family of God. We can be sure of our salvation thanks to him. All right, so because of that assurance, we can have confidence in our relationship with God when we approach him in prayer. Hebrews 4.16 says we can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So the Holy Spirit gives us boldness in witnessing and in our relationship with God. Finally, the C in the ABCs of empowering by the Holy Spirit is convicting. The Holy Spirit convicts us about sin. Jesus says in John 16, 8, that the Holy Spirit convicts the world about sin and righteousness and judgment. So as we grow as Christians, the more in tune that you are with the Holy Spirit, the more that you will be 
convicted about the sin in your life. The more you know, the more you grow as a Christian, the more you're going to be able to, to discern where there is sin in your life. And someone once said that when you get saved, you only see the sins that look like stones. But the more you walk with God, you see the sins that look like sands. So you start to notice not just the glaring, obvious sins, but the more subtle sins, too. You get convicted about things that you were not convicted about before. The more you grow, this process of being convicted by the Holy Spirit about sin and recognizing it and fighting it and overcoming it with God's help. That is a process known as sanctification. See, sanctification, what that means is that it's a big word. It basically means we are being made more and more like Jesus. We are being sanctified, being made more and more like Jesus. All right. Um, it is supposed to be a never ending process for the Christian this side of heaven. You know, we're trying to reach Jesus level. And so we never reach Jesus level, but we keep striving for it more and more in our Christian walk. All right. We are saved. We accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, so then we're saved. We have salvation, but sanctification is a process, okay? Then the process of sanctification begins. Now, remember, sanctification is being made more and more like Jesus. It isn't making ourselves more and more like Jesus. This isn't something we have to do on our own, which is good because we cannot do it on our own. That's why we needed a Savior. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, okay? The power of the Holy Spirit, we can grow, we can mature in our faith and in our sanctification all the way through this life here on earth. So to summarize today, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's not about our glory, it's about his glory. Empowering by the Holy Spirit, what that means is that we are gifted with abilities to serve, we are given boldness to witness for him, and we are convicted by him to become more and more like our Savior. Okay, The Holy Spirit has given all of us all the tools that we need for our Christian life. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So if you have received the Holy Spirit, then you don't need anything else. He is all that you need to fight the good fight, to run this race for Jesus Christ. Now, as we come to our time of invitation right now, it, maybe you aren't a Christian, and, and God is working in your heart and helping you realize that you need to make a change. You need to start living for him, and, and you realize that in order to do that, you need to make that first step to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be empowered by Him. Begin to live for Him. If you need to make that decision today to follow Jesus Christ, or maybe you just want to make the decision to make this your church home, whatever your decision, I invite you to come and talk to me while we stand together. We're going to sing our invitation song. That is not our invitation song.
Okay, what number is the invitation card?